states like these and their terrorist allies constitute an axis of evil. Not merely peace in our time, but peace in all time. Continued cooperation for world peace. All those who have fought against oppression. This country deserves a break from politics and a permanent break. Talking about Nicola, welcome back to the Foreign Affairs podcast. Uh, my first question to you is, how did Ukraine win the battle of uh, Kiev? Uh, well, I think we need to assess uh, Ukraine victory in the battle of Kiev in a larger context, because uh, definitely we, would say, we can say now that uh, Russians made numerous mistakes uh, while uh, planning while uh, planning the operation while assembling their forces and one conducting the uh, the first stage of this war and i would say in general they overestimated their capability and they underestimated ukrainian uh, capabilities so what are their major mistakes first of all they bite more than than can chew and swallow basically they thought that with 200,000 troops they can pursue simultaneously offensive in a number of uh, directions uh, towards Kiev, uh, towards Kharkiv, uh, in, a, uh, in a Donbass, towards Mykolaiv and uh, Odessa and so on. But it appeared that 200,000 troops was uh, too little compared with the magnitude of tasks this, uh, this number of troops uh, needed to, to solve. And basically, Russian troops, they face this dilemma either you have to concentrate the maximum troops on the offensive or to have secure lines of communication but you can serve both with this amount of troops and they uh, decided to uh, pursue the offensive and that made the lines of communication less secure that's why you saw numerous instances of ukrainian successful attacks in the lines of uh, communication and as of course uh, a reason why they were so and successful was a lack of real-world experience because uh, the magnitude of the offensive uh, they tried to attempt was comparable to the offensive, for instance, the 1944 Bagration offensive operation. But the Soviet army was able to do it after the years of the major combat. So they tried to perform uh, the operation of the magnitude that required qualitatively qualitatively another level of experience that Russian both troops and leadership lacked. And of course, uh, the one reason why Russians were unsuccessful were uh, uh, their major miscalculations, both in the process of a preparation, process of conducting, and the other reason was, of course, the uh, right character of strategic defensive operation our troops conducted, because uh, the wise decision was adopted not to... Uh, defend every single city, but try to wear down uh, Russian troops while they were uh, approaching Kiev. So withdrawing with the battles uh, and exhausting Russian offensive capabilities, and at the same time preserving to the maximum fullest extent Ukrainian uh, capabilities. So it was uh, the, the classical strategic defensive operation when you uh, trade space for a time when you're wearing down your uh, enemy through both frontal attacks and also through attacks on his lines of communications. And uh, it uh, made it possible for Ukrainian 
forces of defense and security sector to inflict a major damage on the Russian forces in the first stage of Russian-Ukrainian all-out war. Because according to Ukrainian estimates by the general staff, in the first stage of war, the Russians suffered uh, swooping 40% losses of their battalion tactical groups, uh, fully or partially destroyed. So it was 50 out 125 battalion tactical groups that were uh, fully or partially actually destroyed and uh, that's why they uh, i mean russians they need to recalibrate their strategy and since they decided to concentrate on the east and with such losses they needed to withdraw troops from the northern ukraine and uh, even while they were withdrawing troops we were also persons and we were inflicting the major losses that's why i can say that the battle of kiev was a result of uh, two major factors in play. First of all, it's uh, miscalculations done by the Russian forces, Russian military and political leadership while planning and conducting these offensives. So they overestimated their capability, both the number of troops, uh, 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 I mean, underestimated the number of troops they needed for this magnitude of task, and they lacked the real world experience. And the other effect was, of course, very successful strategic defensive operation would basically wear down Russian troops. And uh, as they concentrate on the east, they withdraw from the northern Ukraine. That, that, that are the major reasons why uh, Ukrainians were so successful in uh, uh, operation around Kyiv in northern Ukraine in general. Because uh, right here, right now, there is no Russian troops in Zhytomyr, Kyiv, Chernigiv and Sumer region. It's a uh, northern Ukraine. And alas, um, since we were so successful in a battlefield, so in this context, in uh, in a paradigm of army versus army, the Russians, of course, they committed a major war crime in the outskirts of Kiev. So more, more than 900 people were shot. Uh, and uh, that is the instance uh, what the Russians are up to. So since they are not successful in combating Ukrainian armed forces and other security and defense forces, they switch to the atrocities. And uh, we, we have another example, because really in the, in the world history, we saw another example in the Chechen war, in Syria war, where Russians were only good at terrorizing civilian populations since they were not successful in fighting the armed forces. And that's uh, the other horrible, horrible side of the Russian-Ukrainian war, and the reason basically why Russians committed uh, war crimes around Kyiv and the suburbs of Kyiv, because they are not successful in fighting uh, in a paradigm army versus army. We've all been very impressed by the, the efforts of the Ukrainian armed forces. Um, and I, I think there will be a lot of lessons to learn uh, from, a, from a Swedish or a other European point of view when it comes to how the Ukrainian armed forces have performed in this war. And my next question is about the, the Black Sea where we recently saw the, the sinking of the, the Russian Black Sea flagship, the Moskva, and it was sunk by, I believe, two uh, Ukrainian Neptune um, anti-ship missiles. Could you describe the sort of area of operations and how the Ukrainian Navy was able to perform this very impressive uh, attack against the flagship of the Russian Black Sea fleet? Uh, despite the fact that Russian-Ukrainian war is fought mainly in the two domains. It's a land domain and air domain. Also, we shouldn't forget indeed about the situation in the Black Sea fleet. 
uh, we are which uh, enormous amount of grain and metallurgical export are annually shipped and since the start of this all-out war russian navy black sea fleet it started this blockade operation and some even transport ship were destroyed as a result of uh, uh, indiscriminate uh, fire applied by the russian uh, black sea fleet uh, well uh, while we saw this the situation cause ukrainians buying their time i i, I think in my opinion that uh, the leadership of the armed forces uh, and the navy they give the order to the naval component of ukrainian armed forces to think about uh, how we can cripple at least cripple try to cripple the, this blockade uh, force and to made uh, not only material but a major psychological damage because a moscow cruiser it's a, a black sea fleet uh, flagship and we bide our times. I think uh, our armed forces they uh, uh, envisage these complex techniques that involve not only two uh, anti-ship cruise missiles of Ukrainian indigenous production, but also uh, indeed it might might Bayraktar uh, UAVs might uh, were involved to to distract the attention of the air defense system of Moskva uh, cruiser. And uh, this moment was utilized so two, two uh, missiles were fired and two missiles hit this cruiser and caused, first of all, major uh, psychological damage because uh, it's a ship of displacement of uh, 12,000 tons. It's a flagship of the uh, uh, Black Sea Fleet and Russians weren't able to replace the, the ship since it was produced in Ukraine in, in, the, US, in the period of USSR. But it also was a major reminder is that Ukraine, first of all, is a producer of sophisticated weaponry because this uh, missile was uh, produced and accepted by our armed forces since 2013. So we, we made it clear that we both are good at producing sophisticated equipment and employing sophisticated equipment in a complex tactics that allow to overcome a uh, defense of the, uh, of the ship. Uh, and another, of course, um, impact that it would have, we can say that this threat of the amphibious landing uh, near Odessa, uh, that was in the plans of the Russian army, I think uh, it, it's now put aside because Russian ship, uh, they would bear in mind the risk being hitted by Ukrainian missiles in case they approach our shores. And as far as I understand, all of the Russian ships, they were withdrawn to this either Sevastopol, uh, Sevastopol or uh, towards Novorossiysk. That's why uh, they departed from our shores. The threat of the shelling, artillery shelling was removed. The threat of, uh, of amphibious landing was removed because we demonstrated to Russians that, yes, we, we don't have much time to produce anti-ship cruise missiles of our own design in major quantity, but still we have some of them it's a open uh, question it's uh, a quandary how how many we have but we have some in our stocks and again we we demonstrated how uh, you can change the situation making a strike in a proper place proper time because there was another example when um, amphibious ship uh, sarato was destroyed in berdansk it's a, it's a port at the sea of azov using another missile it was Tochka U missile so which was also a powerful blow so it's it's a multifaceted story with enormous 
psychological boost for Ukrainian armed forces in general. I think we, we, we made clear to the whole world, because Ukrainians were underestimated before this all-out war, that we are both good at fighting Russians, not only uh, uh, in land domain, but also in sea domain. And please don't hesitate, provide us with more sophisticated weaponry, not only light anti-tank weaponry, man parts and so on, but don't hesitate, provide us with anti-ship missiles, with surface-to-surface missiles. So it's, it's really indeed a very, very good story, very positive story that, uh, that make a lot of cases, positive cases for Ukraine. Uh, in this all-out war with Russia. And, and Mikola, how would you assess the current military situation um, in this war? Uh, well, despite the fact that the first stage, in the first stage, we clearly prevailed because we thwarted the original design, we derided uh, the original design uh, uh, that was in mind of Russian military and the political leadership to quickly occupy Ukraine. Still, despite the major blow we and major losses we inflicted in the first stage of this 40% of battalion tactical groups fully or partially destroyed, still Russians have some manpower, they have some capability to uh, concentrate in the East. And indeed, uh, both on our own assessment, intelligent assessment, or also uh, intelligence assessment of our Western partners and even uh looking through the lenses of the statements made by the russian political and military leadership everything would be decided in a donbass area so it's uh, both uh joint forces operation uh, running through luhansk and donetsk oblast and also on the flanks of the joint forces operation like the northern flank around the city of Izum of the Kharkiv uh, region. So right here, right now, we have this operational pause where two, uh, two, two sides, we are regrouping both Russians and we uh, uh, and preparing for this new phase of war. Uh, well, Russians, uh, they, they think, they suppose that since they were not successful in, in large-scale wars, they may try to, to do a kind of encirclement of the joint forces operation uh, on a lesser scale in a Donbass region. That's why they are massing the major um, amount of equipment and the troops uh, in the uh, in the east. Like uh, according to the latest Ukrainian general staff assessment, uh, out of 87 battalion tactical groups now deployed. Uh, by Russia in this all-out war, 22 battalion tactical groups, so 25%, they are concentrated near Izum area. So uh, we all anticipate this this new new battle uh, that would remind everybody about the largest battles of the World War the Second. But you have to remember a couple of things that uh, Russians on the first stage of war, they were not successful in this uh, swift penetration and encirclement of the enemy defenses and it's much easier to draw the the uh, the, the lines uh, to to draw uh, uh, to, to draw the lines depicting the major assault directions that to do it uh, uh, to do it in a real world so it's a very difficult task to project power on the land so russians may have 
uh, whatever plans they, 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 they have, but it would be very difficult for them first to uh, penetrate our defense and then to exploit this penetration and to quickly project power to encircle our forces. Our defense would have uh, this um, uh, active, uh, character, uh, active character as it had in the first stage of this Russian-Ukrainian all-out war. So we would try to destroy Russian forces while they are massing maybe 15, 20 kilometers from the front line. So we won't allow them to outplay us in this uh, maneuvering and massing the troops to pierce our defense. So we would, we would inflict the major damage in a tactical zone on defense. Another factor is, of course, the number and intensity of anti-tank uh, equipment, both of our own production and also supplied by our, supplied by our Western partners, including Sweden. Uh, and the, the density would be huge, so we would inflict the major damage uh, while they would try to penetrate our tactical zone of defense. And of course, we are preparing reserves uh, to plug uh, our defenses and, uh, well, we, we might also try to trade some, some space for time to wear down Russian, Russian uh, troops, uh, wear down their uh, offensive capabilities. So uh, ex we would need uh, indeed to expect very bloody battle, very costly battle. But I think that uh, in this uh, stage of the war, nobody should doubt the ability of Ukrainian soldiers to conduct effective strategic defensive operation and to wear down uh, Russian offensive capabilities and to delay ground for offense, uh, effective counterattacks. So uh, I, I suppose, I, I'm even sure that Russians would pay a steep price. They won't be successful in this second stage, despite concentrating on a lesser, uh, lesser uh, extent of the front compared with the first stage. So they won't be successful. And uh, uh, if uh, they uh, exhaust, uh, I think, the offensive capabilities in the, this stage of war, I think there would be a pause in, in a Russian-Ukrainian war because the tempo of mobilizing resources for this war is uh, far lesser than the tempo of employing these resources if we look at the Russian case. And uh, um, a specific question, uh, what difference would you say that, uh, that Western external support has had to the Ukrainian war effort? And looking onwards, uh, what more support in terms of, for, for example, material uh, does the Ukrainian armed forces need to, to withstand the, the Russian aggression? Uh, well, the, the picture with regards to the equipment provided by our Western por uh, partners is mixed and complex. Because on the one hand, uh, the systems that were provided in major quantities, they uh, have its perfect place in a wider context of the strategic defensive operations. So we're able to create uh, the proper density of anti-tank uh, means uh, at the right directions. We were indeed able to do uh, a very successful ambushes along the roads, Russians uh, took because uh, uh, they were not able to maneuver off roads. But uh, uh, I can say that uh, only uh, given the assistance we were provided we were successful. Uh, I would say it in the other order. Uh, were it not uh, Soviet artillery, both tube and multiple launch rocket system, we won't be so successful in conducting strategic defensive operation because, as I say, 
the effective character of strategic defensive operation, it depends on a number of factors. One, of course, is the density of anti tank guided missiles in a tactical zone of your defense, but another factor is being able to inflict a major damage in a tactical zone of the defense of your enemy. So while it is moving, while it is massing towards the front line, so you're not waiting just to destroy it uh, in a front line with anti tank guided missiles. So uh, that's why I would say that. Uh, I, I, I can even say that I see this um, not, the situation when Western audience, they do not have the proper picture uh, that explains why we were so successful. People in the West think that it was only thanks for the Western assistance were provided. It played its role, but were it not for artillery that we employ in mass, were it not for it, we won't have this successful operation and just you know, just uh, just one thing to compare. It's it's a uh, one thing to to destroy uh, uh, Russian uh, armor uh, with anti-tank guided missiles one by one with a risk, with a huge risk indeed. And another thing is to destroy Russian columns at a distance of 15, 20 kilometers and mass with lesser risk through the tube and the rocket artillery. That's why I would say that right here, right now. We want to see Western assistance moving to the qualitatively, qualitatively another stage uh, and moving from light anti-tank weapons to uh, tube and rocket artillery and maybe even to operational tactical missiles of the range 300 kilometers. That's why, for instance, when last week President of Ukraine Zelensky asked uh, Western partners about military assistance, we uh, specifically uh, need he he made a major emphasis, for instance, on the American uh, High Mars M142 systems that can both uh, uh, play the role of the multiple launch rocket system or the launcher of the operational tactical attack missile. So, if uh, we are talking the one thing that can change the course and the direction of the war uh, on the Ukrainian side very quickly with very little loss of Ukrainian life. It's indeed, uh, it's artillery and missiles. And that, that is the system we are specifically uh, asking and would like to, to have this uh, another stage, another level of Western assistance because with improved firepower, we can both be more effective in a defensive operation and also in our attempts to recapture territories temporarily occupied by Russian scenes 24th February 2022. And and um, my final question, uh, what do you think will be the end game of this war? A, a common hypothesis is that there will have to be some sort of negotiation. But looking at the, the, the positions of the, the Russian government um, and how maximalist their goals are, uh, do you believe that is possible? How do, how do you think this will, this will or can end? Uh... Well, uh, as I said previously, uh, if Russians uh, made one or two uh, so unsuccessful major offensives as they did in the first stage, they would lack offensive capabilities if they don't start uh, the overt mobilization of people and resources for this war. And there is now no such decision of the Russian political authorities. So they would exhaust their capabilities cause this war reminded everybody that the tempo of the employment of resources is very, very swift, is very, very high, and you need to have the comparable 
capability for the generation of these resources. And Russia didn't start this game of the force generation that is comparable to the needs on the front line. So maybe one or two so unsuccessful offensives and Russians won't have the capabilities and they will need to switch to the strictly defensive mode. And uh, uh, there, uh, a number of factors would play. First of all, whether till that moment we would have uh, our own offensive capabilities, I mean, Ukraine offensive capabilities to liberate at least territories of what, that what emperor occupied. Because uh, if we are talking about uh, some kind of political compromise, I would say that after people get to know what happened in Bucha and in other other cities like Irpin, Borodyanka, in the outskirts of Kiev, for Ukrainians it would be very difficult to uh, accept a kind of compromise that won't guarantee Ukrainian real security. And as you rightly said, Russia is now pursuing maximalist demands. There is no readiness to, to downplay these maximalist demands and to negotiate in good faith, really negotiate, not just to demand for Ukrainian to capitulate, but but to negotiate. So it will it will be very difficult for Ukrainians to accept uh, the kind of a compromise that won't guarantee security, and especially it would be hard uh, hard for the servicemen on the front lines to accept this compromise uh, if it indeed doesn't guarantee Ukrainian security and doesn't provide them the answer what they were fighting for, why they lose their friends, the comrades. And so on. So I would say that uh, Russian uh, offensive capabilities would exhaust uh, very soon, and then they would have to decide whether to mobilize or to accept the compromise. On the other hand, nobody in Ukraine now is ready for the compromise. For the sake of compromise, we need a kind of a budding that would indeed guarantee Ukrainian security, which means either NATO membership uh, goal preserved or uh, Ukraine being uh, a country of a huge defensive capability being uh, becoming a non-aligned country officially. So uh, that, that's why uh, we would still need to talk about uh, the defensive equipment being provided by our Western partners. So it's a major uh, question either with regard uh, to the uh, war being fought between uh, two countries or in the case of the uh, bargaining, uh, we, we would uh, envision some real bargaining, we would envision that would guarantee Ukrainian security. Mikola, thank you so much for your excellent analysis and for sharing your thoughts. Uh, it's very appreciated uh, by our listeners and uh, I wish you all the best and I, I look forward to the, the, the next update where we'll be talking about, I hope, uh, the, the complete victory of the Ukrainian armed forces on the battlefield. Thank you very much. Thank you for your invitation and thank you for your moral and material support.